My name's Sam Towns. And I'm Alex Norton. Before we get into today's episode, let's take a moment to thank our sponsor. The Forgecast is brought to you thanks to Weber Abrasives, 3M Norax Trizact Cork Polishing Belts. Rob's got all of the tastiest abrasives around, so hit him up at abrasives.on.net today to stock up. Yes. So what have you been up to this week, Alex? Uh, knocked out a... Pretty cool friction folder. I, I wanted to play with. Uh, I recently got a heap of uh, G10 liner material from Nordic Edge, and um, I wanted to try doing G10 liners on a friction folder. They usually do brass or stainless liners, and I wasn't. I have to admit, I wasn't totally sold on it until I put the oil on. It looked great, yeah. The red gum with the red liners. I was. Um, I thought it was going to look garish, but it came out all right. um so yeah it was was fun uh i've been working on a new slip joint which is probably one of the fanciest knives i've ever made um looking pretty nice though that's um it's a lot lot in it (laughs) it's a long long list um but people can see my social media if they want to see about that um i'm going to be electro etching my touch mark into this one uh, for the first time so i've got to do some practice on some test pieces uh first so what stencils are you using uh you're going to be producing my own stencils um my wife nissa has a thing called a cricket which mm-hmm. uh, allows you to sort of very precisely cnc style cut vinyl mm-hmm. uh, so be using that as the stencil very cool. Um, and then electro etching using a benchtop power supply that I have in my uh, robotics workshop that I have. Sort of That's making a dodgy setup and hoping that it works. But I'll be testing it on some test pieces first. But um, well, I mean, I I did a lot of electro etching with a with a Q tip and a nine volt battery. Back yeah, when I first it works. Started, so <laughs> yeah. so uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting. Hopefully, it. it turns out all right um i'd hate to stuff up the project at this point <laughs> mm. uh, nobody warned me <clears throat> sam that coining is a pain to do <laughs> i distinctly remember saying something about how much of a pain in the ass coining was <laughs> back when i did the two liners for that gigantic muso buoy mm-hmm. like you know you have no right to complain <laughs> mine was in stainless <laughs> yeah well it's um it took a long time um, it does yeah if you want to do it well it takes a while like if, if you if you're just coining for the sake of coining and you're just like not caring about how it looks mm-hmm. it doesn't take long but if you actually want it to look good it and takes it, a while. especially when you're trying to make a match set where everything lines up yep. yeah it's uh yeah a lot of work but i think it, i think it came out all right um, that looks fantastic i love that that slip joint it's um, materials from all over the place, actually. I've got um, some from, um, I think it's yeah, Rob's Wildwood, I think it's called. Mm-hmm. Um, some from uh, our mate Josh at GT Edgeworks. I've got some from uh, Ryan at Otway Fiddleback. I've got G10 from Nordic Edge. I've got uh, stainless from 
somewhere else and just <laughs> like so many different people have come together the finishing oils are from constantia organic finishes it's like <laughs> it's a collaboration it's ul- knife sort of thing the ultimate mongrel yeah that's right um <laughs> but it's 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 looking all right i've been it's it's not the official name i've given it but i've been calling it the mallard because it's got the sort of stripe of color <laughs> in the middle it kind of looks like a mallard yeah that's pretty good <laughs> i like that but um no the walk and talk's nice on it and it um i spent ages dialing it in though like mm. i have disassembled and reassembled that knife knife more times than i can freaking count and take off like a thousandth off of the the back spring and then put it back together and then sit on that for a little while and yeah it was a pain um but yeah it's almost done uh, i've been working on the handle template for my viking sword mm-hmm. which i'm making um scale replicas of all of the pieces out of wood first um so that i know that the whole thing will fit up and look good and be sized right and then translating those pieces into damascus which is going to be fun um so it's feeling good so far um i'm liking it and liking where it's going so um another vlog entry will be up shortly about that and after um after i'm done with it i'm i'm pretty happy with the fit up it's going to be weird having the weight on the handle because i've been swords are just they just feel so ungainly until there is counterweight Mm -hmm. in the handle um so once you get that balance point back it uh becomes a totally different beast i've been like using clamps to hold uh rail spikes either side of the handle (laughs) to get a feel for it um but you can't really hold it properly when it's doing that so it's it's one of those things that i won't know until it's done yeah um but yeah i'm 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 happy pretty happy with the shape that i'm going for at the moment i think it's going to be quite nice when it's finished um finally and long-time listeners will understand what i mean when i say finally um covid is at a point where i'm able to ship the mushroom knife to neil's <laughs> <laughs> it's taking its time yeah but i'm sending him a few other presents as well um tasmanian timbers are sort of famed elsewhere in the world um mm. and very difficult to get a hold of so i thought who better to make them look nice than than good old neil's vandenberg so um, he's getting a selection of those as well, uh, pre-made blocks and um, some merch. Get him in one of my t-shirts. <laughs> Very <laughs> see, cool. See how long it lasts before he burns some holes in it. Probably a day. Yes, and <laughs> um, I'm going to be taking a short holiday. My um, granddad needs to look after his farm, so I'm um, I'm taking it as a chance to have a bit of a holiday and a break away from everything because there's. Uh, no reception out there and no internet out there so probably good for the soul frankly good as a uh, good as excuse as any yeah that's right um plus it's beautiful it's absolutely beautiful out there so i'm looking mm. forward to it to be honest spend some time being you know not a blacksmith for a while <laughs> yes not an online personality <laughs> yeah that's right uh, my song of the week is um, by an Australian singer, uh, and it is Dance Monkey by Tones and I, which um, is a very sort of, on the surface, it's kind of just like a jammy pop hit, yeah. it's, but it's it's really quite a deep song. Um, it's just sort of reflecting the lamentations of somebody with talent, 
understanding that uh, anybody that's got any sort of talent will be sought after by people who can manipulate them and use them to get money for themselves. Yeah. Um, so she's singing about that basically because as soon as you're good at something, people start saying "dance monkey" and expecting <laughs> you to do it. And um, so I, I, I relate to the song on that level because it's happened to me before. It's happened to a lot of people I know before. And um, plus, it's it's a killer tune, frankly. Yeah, no, it's good, good song. The the singer you would never guess. You would walk past her on the street. You'd yeah, never no. guess that she's this international sensation. <laughs> and her story is quite interesting as well. It's phenomenal. Yeah. Her and, background, yeah. And it's worth looking up to hear her story because it's pretty cool, to be honest. Mm. Um, and her story is linked directly to how she came up with that song. So, yeah. Yeah. Very, uh, very cool song, cool chick, cool story. How about you, Sam? What have you been up to this week? Oh, yeah, just uh, slowly plodding along. I finally put those hammers up for sale. Mm. Um, One sold within the first hour of putting it up. Nice. Uh, The rest of them are still up as we're recording this. Uh, (laughs) Of course, the one to sell was the Viking crossbeam. It was the the only Viking crossbeam I had in that batch. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, that's gone. Um... But yeah, other than that, it's been trying to prepare for a bunch of stuff. Like, the thing is, I've got so many projects on the go all at once, but all of them require things that I've had to order online. And so it's this matter of, I have, I'm surrounded in a pile of unfinished projects that I'm waiting for pieces for. Mm. Um, like there's a Higo, uh, Higo Nakami that I've been making for a customer who's already paid for it. It's already, you know, like sorted. But until I get this one thing from the internet, I can't finish it. Mm. And it's driving me mental because he keeps messaging me, asking me when it's going to be done. I'm like, I, whenever the thing arrives. <laughs> um, I had, finally, I had the Sterling Silver Wire that I re- ordered show up, which was good. So that I can get on with um, doing some more inlay work on the wrought iron and 10 Wait, the, the thing you're waiting um, for from the internet isn't the washers that I'm making for you, is it? No. Well, oh. I mean, that that would be helpful, but... Um, uh, <laughs> it just clicked, and it's like, oh, God, is it me? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, I, have been I can flat make... flat out, sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, it's fine. I can I can make these without the um, without the washers, that's all right. But, um, no, I, I, I ordered... Uh, for, for a long time, I've been trying to get a patination bath set up for my, uh, like, copper work and stuff like that. Mm. And... It is impossible to find an unlined copper pot online, right? Oh. Like, I spent an hour and a half with my Twitch chat. Like, there were, like, six of us desperately trying to find one for under $200. <laughs> an unlined copper pot is something that you could make in your workshop in an I afternoon. Realize that. I am terrible at sheet metal work. I actually have a sheet of copper um, and was, like, considering turning it into a... <laughs> into a pot but i've been so terrified of doing it um but anyway i ended up uh buying a glass cookware like glass cook pot uh very thick glass cook pot uh specifically for doing patinations in and i it said that it was only going to ship in a week and it's been three and i've been in contact with the seller going where the hell is it Mm. um so yeah i'm waiting for that to show up but uh, i may have to find another route to do the patination because like part of the 
the sale was that I'm doing the traditional patination on this piece, so... <sighs> yeah, anyway. Um, other than that, yeah, lots of preparation for more inlay work. I'm actually doing a batch of Higos, not just one. Um, uh, the others won't have inlay and stuff like that in them, but I uh, will have a bunch of Higos for sale very soon. Um... As well as I've been putting handles on knives, uh, knives that I forged out ages ago, um, and I did upload the next in my How to Forge series uh, mm. on how to forge a dagger, uh, the very simple dagger. And next week's video is also a how to forge on a dagger, mm -hmm. uh, but this one has a fuller in it, and it's a hand forged fuller, so. Uh, that should be fun. That's already filmed and edited and ready to go. I've got to work out what I'm going to be filming for the next couple of weeks coming because I want to film in advance uh, so that I don't have the issue of trying to film the day before it's due to go out because <laughs> <laughs> that tends to be the way I end up going. No, Nobody ever does that, especially not you and I. No, no, no. Heavens forbid. Um... Yeah, and just doing, like, housework and stuff like that. Um, getting set up for doing sand casting with my friend Andy. I built some sand casting... Blo uh, they're called, I believe, a uh, drop and something. Anyway, the, the boxes that you put the, the casting sand in. Mm -hmm. um, I built those. And I've got the casting sand uh, mix all ready to go. So um, we just... That would also be a really good way to make a copper pot. Yeah, potentially, potentially. Yeah, there's a great video on YouTube in, I think it's either Africa or India, where they're actually doing that copper pots by casting them in sand. Hmm. I might have to look it up. I'll see if I can find it, send it to you. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if we have a large enough crucible to get a pot, like, decent sized pot out of how big of a pot are you needing to make for this uh, if you're if you're heat, base, if you're doing te uh, temper holes. colors on higanakami <laughs> uh well it's not it's not exactly a stock pot <laughs> yeah, no no but it does it, it needs to be saucepan sized thereabouts um medium sized saucepan roughly um we'll see it's like I'll, a cup I'll, of melted copper <laughs> yeah um but yeah it's it, that is a possibility might have to look into it but um yeah other than that it's just been preparing just lots of prepare preparation not a lot of actual work hmm. uh yeah moved my my pet uh tadpole into his new tank does he have a name yet wiley yeah wiley Named after yes. Rook Bladeworks? Yeah, he is, actually, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, the names for my tadpoles were actually decided by one of my Twitch chat members. It he, it started as a joke, because there were two male tadpoles, so we started calling them Wayne and Wiley, and they just kind of stuck. Because, <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately, Wayne went walkabout, and, um, you know, has, has ne'er returned. So I'm hoping that he's alive and well somewhere, you know. Like the real Wayne. Uh, amongst the green grass. Yeah, indeed. Like the real Wayne. Um, my song of the week is one that um, me and my band learned to play a long time ago, back when I had a band, when I was like 17. Uh, <laughs> and um, it's a, a song by the band called Fuel. Uh, the song is Shimmer. All right. It's very, very cool, uh, very kind of 90s, early 2000s uh, rock kind of sound. 
Uh, I always really enjoyed playing it. It's got some really nice beat drops and stuff like that in it. Um, it's very interesting chord progressions. So, uh, yeah, definitely worth a listen. Yeah. There you go. Yes. Well, it's that time again. We have to decide. We've got, some li- we've got some listener emails. <laughs> oh, we've got some inspirations. I already made the answer. Listener emails. Let's go. Oh, okay, we got two emails and one from Instagram. The Next first time. email is from Mike in Pennsylvania. And he says, Hey, gents, I just recently found your show and I'm currently in the process of catching up on every episode. I'm on episode 29 right now. I just couldn't pass up the opportunity to tell you that you were talking exactly about me, along with many others, I'm sure. Sam had mentioned his inspiration of the week being Alex Steele. As you've said, I've gotten my first inspiration, ambition, and energy to begin the craft from him, but I've also found myself lacking the information necessary for success. That is where you all step in. You are a wealth of invaluable and thorough information that has given me the confidence to just go do it. And with nearly enough startup cash to go from armchair to actual blacksmith, I hope to be there by the time I catch up on your episodes. I just wanted to take the time to thank you from the deepest bits of my creative being for your encyclopedia of shared knowledge and say that I absolutely love the show and that you're doing a fantastic job. Thanks again, guys. Cheers. P.S. I've subbed to every guest and honorable mention to date. Grateful listener, Mike. I'm very much appreciated, Mike. We're glad we can provide some educational content. The check's in the mail. (laughs) (laughs) You're pretending we have money. It's funny. Yeah, no, right? (laughs) (laughs) No, that's always good to hear that sort of thing. Especially after two years of slogan at this. Yeah. Yeah, you're going to be following a lot of people by the end of this show. (laughs) That's right. All right, our next email comes from our good friend Colt Huddleston. And he says, Hi, guys. I've been looking for an anvil and have noticed something I hoped you guys could clarify for me. When I ch- This is something most people go through when they go looking for an anvil. Yep. <laughs> he said, When I checked out how much an anvil should cost, the newest info I could find said 7 to $10 per pound for new and 3 to $5 per pound for used. However, I see people often selling old anvils for new prices or more because they're a popular brand like Haybutton and such. The anvil might be in awful condition and still have a high price because they know what it's worth. So, in quotes. So, my question is, does the name carry that much value that people can actually ask those high prices? Thanks, Colt. It's a very good question. Yeah, you know, I I have some feelings on the subject. (laughs) Yeah, we both do, I imagine. Yeah, actually, uh, I think that um, Old Hickory Forge uh, did a really great video on purchasing anvils. He's an anvil collector himself. Mm. And he did a fantastic video on whether or not it's worth buying an old anvil. And basically, he just said, it doesn't matter what its name is, it doesn't matter where it came from. If it's a crap anvil, it's a crap anvil. Mm-hmm. Right, like if it, if it's missing a horn and it's got you know big chunks out of the face and all this kind of stuff, it doesn't matter that it's a, a Trenton or whatever. It is still a crap anvil. Mm. Um, and you know, I I very much subscribe to that. It, unfortunately, you end up with you know the antiques dealers who seem to think that every anvil that was made before 1950 somehow is worth more than solid gold. Yes. 
um, because it's old and it's a blacksmith's tool and blacksmiths don't exist anymore, didn't you know? Um, <laughs> and then you've got the guys who uh, have realized that blacksmithing is becoming more popular and that there is certain, like a certain cachet that comes with uh, certain names. Mm. And so they're trying to get you as a beginner as a newbie who knows nothing about anvils they're trying to convince you that yeah no this is the best thing ever because it's this name that's been around for 150 years uh therefore it's worth the money that i'm charging you Mm. well the fact is there's very distinct and easy ways to tell whether or not an anvil is good or not um and all you have to do is all you have to be that do is be there in person to to do these tests um yep the shapes of an anvil, I would say, are just as important um, as the uh, the quality of the anvil. And different brands did different shapes. It is nice to work on a piece of history. It's a mm-hmm. it's a nice, cool thing. It's not necessary, but because I mean, long time listeners of the show will know that I have a two hundred and one year old now um, Sawyer's anvil. Uh, from M&H Armitage, very old classic brand of anvil. But if you compare that anvil to like my new B&W anvil, the Sawyer's anvil shit because yeah. Sawyer's anvils were soft com- mm-hmm. or softer than most anvils. And because of that, despite its incredible mass under the hammer, which is about 320 pounds, um, which definitely makes a difference when you're working, it does about the same amount of work as a 40 kilo bmw just because the bmw has twice the rebound and then next to that one i have a 211 year old um queen's dudley anvil and frankly queen's dudley anvils even though they are 211 years old are terrible because they were made badly because they were made quickly and cheaply for the settlement of australia Mm mm-hmm so, it's yeah, like, and a, even and a lot back of then, old tools like that, yeah, are even like that, yeah, even back in those days, you think, oh, two hundred plus year old anvil. No, even back then, they made things quickly and cheaply. Sometimes, yep. So just because it's old doesn't necessarily mean it's good. Oh man, it's so often actually, it's the the exact opposite. And as far as like buying anvils that goes these days, you're likely to find most decent quality old anvils for the same price as you will find a good new one, Mm. right? There is almost no benefit to buying an old anvil now. No. Because there are manufacturers out there who are making top-of-the-line anvils like Bruce Beamish from B&W Anvils for the same price you would pay for the same sized anvil that's, you know, 100 years old. The only reason... Yeah, and and the reason that you would buy that is purely because of the history, but the history doesn't mean anything if you're talking about a tool. That's right. Um, And I mean, even um, John Switzer, who has been forging on a really, really old wrought iron steel-faced anvil for a long time, has switched out to his new Fontanini anvil Mm. um, because he recognized that there is, you know, an advantage to having a very clean and nice, you know, and new anvil. Uh, it's much like any tool. There's a simple fact about humanity is where there is a place that money can be made, people will do whatever it takes to make money in that space. And yep. black, blacksmithing has been seeing a resurgence in recent years. And because it's been making a resurgence, people who have anvils to sell are hiking the prices up. 
and they will mm-hmm. find ways to justify that because when you walk into a, a secondhand store and you see an anvil sitting there and you ask them, oh, how much for that 15 kilo anvil? And they say $700. You're going to balk at that. I've, I've had that happen, by the way. You're going to mm-hmm. balk at that price and they're going to say, yeah, but this is a hay button. This is <laughs> 200 years old and, and all this sort of thing. They're going to try and justify it because they can't just say blatantly, blacksmithing's making a comeback i know it's making a comeback you're asking me about it and you are you know in look like you're the target audience for that sort of forged and fire crowd so i know (laughs) i can milk you for as much as i want um they're not going to say that to you so they're going to come up with all this sort of thing but a lot of people believe all of that stuff that gets said and the fact is you can now buy for the same reason you can buy brand new anvils that are purpose-built to task um, that are made to an exacting quality and have never had anybody else use them or misuse them over... And are often co- covered by warranty, which is yeah. something you'll never get with an old anvil. <laughs> and because, you know, that old saying, I mean, we've mentioned it multiple times on the show, you never own an anvil, really. You are borrowing it. Just you're you're caretaking it for a, a period of your lifetime. And so if you're talking about an anvil that's 200 years old, that's about two or three lifetimes and that means at least two or three people have used it and they've had different habits on there they've had different maybe levels of skill they maybe have chipped out edges they may have dinged up the face they may have given it a bit of a sway back from overuse they could have broken bits off of it uh they it could have gone through a bushfire and lost its temper could have gone Mm. had all these different things happen to it but if you just go and buy a new anvil you know it's going to be of a certain quality provided you get it from a reputable manufacturer yeah um and it's simple as that working on history is nice but it it, you don't work on history for the sake of working on history if you need to rely on your anvil Um, absolutely and i mean to to caveat obviously if you find an old anvil for a steal like for a deal right for Mm. a really good price because someone's pricing it for a reasonable rate for the quality, then go for it. Because, you know, a lot of old anvils, especially the really old ones that are still in good shape, normally means that they were built pretty well because they haven't broken under use, right? Like, crappy, crappily built anvils tend to have failed before you come across them. Uh, like, you know, Alex's Queen's Dudley is missing its horn. Oh, uh, yeah. Missing its rear, missing its rear heel, horn, isn't it? The yeah. heel. The heel, yeah. yeah. And um, so, you know, the, there's normally evidence of a, pretty poorly built anvil when you come across it the the other thing to say is um there was a question there of whether a name means anything when it comes to anvils yes it does Mm. uh in in the case of say Reflinghaus and Peddinghaus and Kolsva uh you know Swedish and German anvils they had a reputation for a reason they were they were very very strict with their testing and stuff like that um, you know, Rafflinghouse for as long as I I have known of them have always sold their anvils with a dedicated Rockwell rating for all of their surfaces, um, and they guarantee that to this day. So you know, it's it's one of those things where there are certain anvil manufacturers that were well known all the way through the eighteen hundreds into the nineteen hundreds um, that got that reputation for a reason so yeah there is some weight to be put on the name of an anvil mind you when it comes to brand names there's really two two names that uh, two reasons that a brand name will become 
popular or, or well-known in a positive light. And one is quality. Some things get famous because they're quality. And some things, it's literally just the exclusivity of it. It's like Hugo the- Boss. You know, yeah. or Gucci handbags, you know, they're probably not as good a quality handbag as something you get from Kmart. But because <laughs> the name's attached to them, you can, you will pay 50 times more. Well, yeah. And, and the other one is the, the, um, proliferation of it. Like a, a really cheap anvil would have been purchased by many, many more people than an expensive one, mm. which means that it becomes a household name purely by the fact that everyone owns one because it was cheap. Because <laughs> an anvil is better than no anvil. Precisely, you know, especially in the 1800s where you're talking about people who, you know, were making their living off this kind of stuff. A lot of them didn't have a lot of money, and so therefore wherever they could save, they were going to. Mm. So uh, hopefully that has given you some sort of guidance cult in uh, in your search. Yeah, thanks for the rant topic. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> topic of the week. We, we, we love our viewer <laughs> questions because we never fail to spend half an hour talking about them. And our final um, listener message is from Abstract Blacksmith on Instagram. And he says, I'm an artistic blacksmith and welding fabricator. Been working with metal for 20 years now and got involved with some blokes a few years ago and started the Manitoba Blacksmith Guild. It's done awesome things for the local blacksmithing community, and personally, it's given me some amazing experiences. I've met so many amazing people because of it, many of which are amazing bladesmiths. Like frickin' bonkers. Makes me want to make knives. But how do you knife? (laughs) (laughs) How do knife? Sorry, but seriously, the idea of getting into it kind of scares me. My brain is already so overloaded with railings and gates I want to make. Axes, hammers, chisels, the kitchen sink, just for Sam. <laughs> Damascus is so awesome, and I plan to try and uh, try, take a try and some Damascus tools eventually. But if I knife, then I think that will be that. Uh, what says you two fine gents? So. Mm. How do you get into blacks, uh, bladesmithing from blacksmithing? I would say Celtic knives. Yeah, blacksmith's knives are the are the gateway drug to knife making. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah, that, that that's probably perfectly sums it up. Blacksmith's yeah. knives, Celtic knives, Viking knives, whatever you want to call them, the the they the integral uh, sort of the handles, squirrel tail handle. Yeah, squirrel yeah. tail folds down and curves around. It's an infinite number of ways you can make it uniquely yours. Um, and you'll very quickly... Because you sort of can bash one out and then start using it right away if you get your technique down, um, you can you can forge it, quench it, and temper it all in the same time that your forge is on. Um, yeah, and, and one of the advantages of them is because you're not spending any time handling and, and that kind of thing... You can spend more time focusing on trying to get blade geometry down. Mm. Uh, it's one of the things I keep telling people is to constantly, you know, when they're making these blacksmith knives, instead of only worrying about the artistic nature of the handle, instead focus on the nature of the blade. Because if you get down to forging blades really well on blacksmith knives, when you start transferring to like hidden tangs and full tangs and stuff like that, where you are putting handle material on, you're going to find it a lot easier to get the geometry right for the blade and that's the most important part a blade that doesn't cut is pretty useless yeah which reminds me i still have yet to make the sheath for the celtic knife i'm sending to seth wood i just <gasps> just remembered i haven't done it yet <laughs> sorry <Oops>. seth <laughs> it's sitting on the table behind me i just i just clicked 
<laughs> Celtic knives are pretty much just a hidden tang with ambition. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> exactly right. But, it's a um, rambunctious yeah, I mean, hidden tang. <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm not sure if the question was, like, just what what do you do to get into it, or if if it's worth it, given all of the other things you want to do. Like, that's kind of one of the things that I got from that question. And... I mean, if you have a lot of other projects and stuff like that and you don't want to go down a new road, then don't. But at the same time, if you want to try something out, blacksmith's knives are a really good way to try knife making without really trying knife making, you know? <laughs> yeah, but be warned, Sam is not kidding when he says it's a gateway drug. Oh, it is. And knife making, like, one of the, one of the wonderful things about blacksmithing and bladesmithing in general is that there is never a lack of things to learn. No, right, like no matter how good this, you get. Yeah, you can be, uh, you know, there are master bladesmiths who all they've done is knives for 40 plus years and they're still learning every day. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and that's what I absolutely love. But it's also a downside if you end up becoming really interested in it because it takes forever to learn. <laughs> uh, and there's always something new to try. That's it. That's it. I mean, even somebody like Carl Roy would tell you, like, he's he's got the next three things he wants to try worked out already, I guarantee you. Oh, guaranteed. I mean, Christ, have you seen the handle work he's doing on that Persian uh-huh. fighter right now? Yep. Ugh, man. <laughs> I loved that little trick with rubbing the silica carbide. Um, yeah, the lapping, yeah. Oh, 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 was it silica carbide or was it just, like, uh, Alox grit? No, silicon carbide yeah, uh, powder. That's, you that's can, a good idea. You can buy it for t- as tumbling grit. I use it for polishing a lot of my uh, my engraving. Yeah, cool. Yeah, very cool little trick. But anyway, that's a different topic for a different time. But yeah, give it a try. Give give some Celtic knives a try, and then tag us when you do. Yeah, do it because we want to see them. Um, so, inspirations of the week, Sam. Who's been inspiring you this week? So, my inspiration of the week is someone I stumbled across accidentally, you know, I follow the hashtag blacksmithing uh, on Instagram, and I came across this this hand-sculpted repoussé dragon. And it was was all repoussé out of copper with uh, steel claws and steel teeth, and I was like, wow, that's amazing. And so I decided to click on the profile, as I normally do. And it turns out this person is an incredible blacksmith. Like, they are an artisanal blacksmith. I have not have yet to find a knife or sword or axe or anything on their page. They are primarily and solely an artisanal blacksmith who make who makes amazing artwork. And um, unfortunately, I can't read a word of what they post because they post all in Cyrillic because they are Russian. I believe, mm-hmm. uh, either Russian or Ukrainian or one of the uh, the, the uh, Slavic Baltic states. states. Baltic, yeah. Slavic. Uh, so yeah, I, mean, I never know what the word is. Well, Baltic is in like Serbia, Croatia, you know that kind of area. But right. um, anyway, yeah, one of the states that speaks Russian-like languages. Um, <laughs> one of the but, states that uh, bald and bankrupt loves. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, his work speaks for itself. Uh, it is absolutely stunning. I actually sent Alex a photo of a, um, fireplace kit that he, that he had made, which had copper and brass accents and, and like it had the full tools and a rail to cover it. Um, it was just, it's just incredible. And his name is Vite Alexander. 
Uh, now that's spelled V-I-H-T underscore A-L-E-X-A-N-D-R. We will uh, link him in the uh, Instagram post. But uh, yeah, he is an incredible blacksmith. And actually one of my favorite things that he does is make little animals out of cubes of steel. Um, the hippo made is so cute. The hippopotami were, were amazing. I want one because they're adorable. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, he he does some really simplistic stuff, but he also does ridiculously detailed blacksmithing work. And if you're interested in artisanal blacksmithing, I definitely check him out because he is next level with his stuff. But uh, who's been inspiring you, Alex? He's a he's a interesting guy. Um, lives in Maine, but comes from Amsterdam. Mm. He's also the vocalist from uh, a band called Destination Void. But he is an amazingly talented blacksmith called Lucas Damon, and he goes by Hammerforge Creations, all one word on Instagram. Um, he does a bit of knives, but he he, he do knife. <laughs> Um, I love the fact that Alex is like, he's not a knife maker, and I go to his Instagram page, and the first, like, seven posts were just knives. That's it. <laughs> but the, the thing is, like, I'm a hairpin guy. Everyone knows mm. I'm a hairpin guy. I've been selling hairpins for years now. Um, this kind of my thing. Mm-hmm. This guy makes me feel very intimidated <laughs> when it comes to his <laughs> hairpins. They are stunning. It's it's what I know him for is his hairpins. They are beautiful, stupid clean forging, just mm. stupid clean. Um, he plays with like gradient fades of brass brushing in his work, which just looks phenomenal. Um, I would have tried it before now myself, but it, it clearly looks like his thing. And as a ha- another hairpin guy, I thought it would be a bit on the nose if I tried it. Um, so I just admire from afar instead. Um, he does beautiful sort of like um, um, penannular brooches, like cl- uh, cl- um, clasps for uh, clasp pins for cloaks, um, very medieval style, but with beautiful little like folded shield loops and things to hold them together. It's just gorgeous work and like offensively clean forging like it look, yeah, i look at are. it and i'm like god damn it i gotta step and, up my game <laughs> yeah I, I i took a quick look through because i swore that it was like sandblasted i was like this has to be <laughs> but nope <laughs> it's so good um very talented guy he does beautiful packaging work with um the stuff that he sells he runs an etsy store which i highly recommend you go in checking out um and it's like he's one of the things that we have ranted on about quite a lot is trying to get consistency in your work Mm -hmm. um and the importance of getting consistency this guy is like the master of consistency it's it's absolute (laughs) robot to it it's incredible the level of consistency he gets like clearly he's using jigs um in what he does but just use hope so just using jigs <laughs> is not um as it's sort of like you know we had that whole episode about how using mills does not mean you're not skilled um it yeah. still takes skill to r- uh, repeatedly use jigs in a nice way um especially yeah, to I've, this I've, level 
I've used jigs to make hooks, and I still can't make a pretty hook. Um, <laughs> <laughs> not to save my life. So um, this guy batches his uh, output like a champion. Like I have, I wish I had his energy. <laughs> frankly, yeah, me too. Some of the posts that you see are just like fifty door handles that he's gotten through, all perfectly identical, and it's just yeah. It's just cool to see. It's 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 about as pure of, of an inspiration as you can get. It's just simply because I want to be able to work like this guy can work. Yeah, so that's the sort of thing you wanna <laughs> you want an inspiration. So um, hopefully you guys can all start following him. Although followers is not a problem for him. He's he's closing in on twenty seven thousand followers. So most of you are probably already following him, uh, as you well should be. So. Um, yeah, he has been in my inspiration for a long time, but particularly this uh, this past week, as I uh, every so often will find a person's Instagram page and then just mindlessly scroll through it with my jaw hanging on the floor. <laughs> you know the drill. Yep, drool, drool scrolling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as opposed to doom scrolling. <laughs> That's right. But with inspirations and emails out of the way, that brings us in to tool time. Tool time. And today's tool time is coming at you thanks to Nordic Edge, hosts of the Australian Knife Making Awards for 2021. Be sure to visit nordicedge.com.au to stock up on all of their delicious knife making goodies, including locally produced knife assembly mats designed by yours truly and made by my talented wife. And so. maybe soon something from the Fudriga. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Do you want to, <laughs> is, is you just going to leave it at that? Yeah, I, I got to leave it at that because it's not set in concrete yet, but uh, right. we'll see. Well, he, uh, yeah, Bjorn's going to start selling Fudgerigar stickers. That's, <laughs> that's it. That's, <laughs> I have been know. getting so many messages from people <laughs> opening those parcels <laughs> and getting them. Oh, really? Yeah. That's fucking awesome. <laughs> it's, it's the first time I've had a nickname that I actually don't mind. <laughs> <laughs> I am totally down with Fudgerigar. It's fine. Especially after so, that graphic, yeah. Rob from uh, Hammer and Scales was sh- was uh, posted his new place that he's at, and he's like, "Oh, it's got a granny flat, by the way." Or so, should I say, a fudgery gar cage? <laughs> <laughs> if you ever want to come stay, where is he based? Uh, um, Victoria, just outside of Melbourne. All right, there you go. Very cool. I have promised that I will visit one oh, day. Oh, good. Well, the tool of the week this week is uh, parallel pliers. We've all got pliers mm. in our workshop. Everyone's got pliers. But if you haven't used, if you haven't discovered the joy that is parallel pliers before, you're missing out, frankly. <laughs> because no matter how good of a grip you get on something with pliers, it's always going to be at an angle. Yeah. And because of that, you'll never be able to really properly bear down on it. Like... Um, Anybody that's ever tried, like, pulling an alignment pin out of something and then had the jaws of the pliers snap off the pin and then bite your finger uh, on a a cold morning. (laughs) One of the things is that in order for angled pliers to gain that grip, they have to have teeth. Mm. And a lot of the time you don't want teeth marring your work. One of the things that parallel pliers do is that you can have perfectly flat jaws that will not mar your work but you get really good grip because of that parallel contact. You can also get um, toothed parallel 
pliers as well. You certainly can. But it would just like the extra. <laughs> that's right. For when you really want to pull that thing out. Um, <laughs> it was what I was going for with the dolphin tongs. Because mm. uh, I thought, hey, parallel pliers are cool. Why not make t- tongs that work the same way? But it's um, an absolute essential thing if you are using specifically in my workshop any sort of alignment pins that you have to take mm. in and out. Because um, you want alignment pins, you want to be a tight fit. You yeah. want that to be snug as a bug. And pulling those in and out with normal pliers are going to rip them to pieces. Yeah, uh, no matter what you try. <laughs> yeah, and then they don't really align that well anymore because they're all chewed up. But parallel pliers, that's what I use them mainly for. But they're also really good for holding um, sort of thinner gauge flat stock. Um, they're also good for holding, let's just say you're holding a small piece like a back spring for a slip joint or you're heat treating a, a knife blank, for example, uh, bluing, bluing the spine or something. You can hold... Uh, the flat stock of a knife blade, for example, um, mm-hmm. without them suddenly swinging down and burning your hand. As I mean, come on, everybody's <laughs> everybody's not used parallel jaw pliers has had that happen. Oh yeah, and and they are fantastically useful in jewellery as well and in wire work mm. because normally the uh, the center of the jaws is just hollow, so you can feed a wire all the way through the jaws and have the wire parallel to the jaws. And then bend the end without having to, you know, like, wiggle around or use them sideways. They, they are insanely useful for uh, for a various uh, for a variety of tasks. I only recently picked up a, a couple of sets. I have I have now have three sets in my in my workshop. Uh, in your employee, point. yeah. <laughs> um, you know, when I started doing my engraving work, because I found them incredibly useful for engraving and and jewelry work. But now I use them everywhere. Yeah, but for fiddly stuff, they are just—they're unbeatable when it comes to fiddly work. And I find they're one of those tools that people sort of like. Oh, I don't need them until you get a pair. Like it's one of those yeah. things. Like you're at a flea market and you you go to that one table that has all the old tools on. It and you're like, oh, there's a pair for two bucks. I grab them, and all of a sudden it becomes the most used thing in your workshop. Yeah. Uh, you just start finding more and more uses for them. So just. Um, skip that whole dance and just get a set because they don't have to be a big set they're even a little, little expensive no they're like, really not even not a specialist tool like 20 bucks yeah know? i mean you can get um you could make a set pretty easily to be honest mm, i'd be interested in seeing that like maybe a future forgecast right challenge <laughs> oh god <laughs> i'm still sad that nobody made dolphin tongs in the tong challenge sam oh yeah i've been know. losing sleep over it no, not really. Not really. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, uh, yeah, parallel tongue, uh, parallel pliers. Get yourself set. So, that brings us into the topic of the week, and we are all about getting better. This is what we t- we talked about it before with our um, knife making. You, you can pute- per- perpetually get better with. But when it comes to getting better, if you don't have some sort of system in place or some sort of plan in place, you will stagnate. And for some people, this is just a hobby that they're doing in their spare time on weekends to wind down from work, and that's fine. You know, just have fun with it. But if your aim is to actually improve and your aim is to get better without some sort of methodology for doing so, you're just going to stagnate. You're going to perpetually stay the same 
skill level. And so we wanted to discuss some of the ways that you can actually have a plan in place because it's amazing how quickly you can see results if you just have a plan that you stick to. My uh, personal method is that on every every time I do a, a new big project, I do something on it that I am pretty confident that I can't currently do. I like to challenge myself. Uh, and so by the act of the simple act of figuring it out in order to make the project happen, I learn, probably break it and stuff it up 20 times, but then by the end of it can do it which makes me now that's just another thing in my in my tool belt and I can move on to another project that has something else new something different challenge myself on each each and every project and that in itself it doesn't sound like a plan but it is a plan and it's something that I stick to and it means that I perpetually get better yeah absolutely I you know Alex and I were discussing it before the show because I was like I don't have a plan um but realistically I do and that plan is always to try new things mm. like my my whole thing is the uh, the birthday knife every year I I do something that I've never done before um just push my boundaries just that little bit more look for something that I I haven't done and I want to try and just do it because, because everything that you can do now that you don't even think about, including walking, I might add, is mm -hmm. something that you once could not do. And you now don't even think about it because you can just do it. And so Sam's birthday knives are a really good example of that because he will sit down knowing the birthday's coming and think, what could I do that would be bonkers? That would yeah. be a testament to where I am at now in my knife making career. It just gets the juices flowing in the brain. That's it. But, I mean, that isn't the only way that you can have a plan to get going, uh, move yourself forward. You could, at the end of each project, sort of do an analysis of the end result. You could take notes. How could yeah. this have been better? How could, like, look for the faults and then try and actually, rather than just go, hmm, that sucks, work out what could you have done to make it better. That fit up a little bit nicer, that finish a little bit smoother that you know what other ornamentation could you have put on there that may have made it nicer take those notes and when you take those notes apply them when you move to the next project even if it's something as simple as doing bottle openers mm -hmm. you can get and in my inspiration of the week lucas is a good example you can get stupid clean forging Look at the forge finishes that Lin Ray puts on his knives, fresh out of the forge. Yeah. And bonkers I good. You can, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can always get better. Um, you could take courses. If you don't feel confident in pushing yourself on your own or you feel aimless in that way that you can't think of something to do, take a course on something that you currently do not know how to do or are not confident in doing. There's plenty of people yeah. out there willing to teach you. Or get criticism, like, you know, even if you can't afford a course or you can't, you know, f get a course nearby, find someone who's willing to criticize your work, Some mm. someone who's, you know, got the experience and is willing to give you constructive criticism on how to improve and take that on board rather than just, you know, feeling sorry for yourself. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, f that's the thing. I mean, there is a difference between criticism and constructive criticism. Um, but if you seek it, you've got to be willing to take it, if that makes sense. Yeah, of course. 
Um, but seeking feedback on your work is free, really. Um, I would be advised being careful <laughs> in who, who you ask. Um, is one of those things you could you could, you could make anything you could make something absolutely perfect to put it on the internet and there will be people that rip it to pieces yeah you, you know like i i would advise ask everyone but take each uh person's feedback with a grain of salt yes depending on how you are as a person i would probably advise against asking everybody because sometimes people say things that you know, just well, people are assholes, but yeah. people are assholes. <laughs> but um, no, I mean, if you want to get better, it's not going to necessarily just happen by doing the same thing over and over again. Is the point that we're trying to make here? You need to have something in place, and we've talked about, uh, and you've seen um, Alex Steele did a video on making was it like a hundred leaf keyrings? Yes, was it a hundred? Yeah, 100, yeah. Yeah. Um, or, like Sam talks about, every time he is in the forge, he makes another bottle opener. Yep. Um, or every birthday, he makes another knife. You know, doing things repeatedly will make you get neater and cleaner at that particular thing if you're repeating it over and over again. And for refining technique, that's a really good way to go. But in order to improve yourself... You can't keep doing the same thing over and over again. Yeah, you got to expand your, uh, you know, expand your horizons. Yeah, and so sometimes it's going to be um, in the form of maybe a different finish. Maybe it'll be a different form of ornamentation. Maybe it'll be a technique to get a particular shape. Maybe it'll be an, a, an actual mechanism of something that actually works. Like I remember, I used to be very daunted by making any form of spring. Uh, mm. getting the heat treatment right for a spring i broke so many um but sometimes like not everybody just has that innate um you know rage that comes with not being able to figure something out that drives them to figure it out <laughs> yeah but um yeah it's one of those things that you you need to actually consciously be aware of your system and i was uh talking to who was I talking to i think it was anthony carroll we, we had on the the show the physiotherapist Mm. Um, he was asking me what what is my system and I I always um, I said to him if I'm not having fun with it it's not really going to uh, inspire learning it's not going to inspire um, creativity if I'm not enjoying it Um, and challenging myself in each thing can be frustrating but I still enjoy the challenge yeah I I mean even if I like I'm one of those people who really hates you know, failing. Um, but I know that I, I, I enjoy the overcoming the the frustration. Like I, I enjoy the end result when after however many hours or weeks of work, I finally achieve the thing that I've been fighting for. Mm. I really enjoy that feeling. And so that's what I constantly fight for. It's like, yeah, I'm down in the trenches right now and I hate it. And I'm, frustrated i'm throwing things because nothing's going right but i know that eventually i'm going to get it and i'm going to be standing there going i did it i made it i you know i did the thing yeah and it's very very infrequently that that feeling is actually um like a letdown most of the time it is is um a really really good feeling so um 
like a <laughs> slight segue here. Um, I could not, for the life of me, figure out that game in the Pirates movies, Liars Dice. <laughs> yeah. I even watched like video explanations breaking it down and I just could not work it out. And then after when I finally clicked with me, I just realized it's a sucky game. <laughs> that's why I couldn't figure it out because I was expecting there to be something that's actually not just based on ridiculous raw chance. Well, yeah. <laughs> so, so sometimes having that aha moment is, is not satisfying, but <laughs> most of the time it is. But um, it's it's it can come with um, some downsides because if you rapidly improve, you start hating your old work. Yes, that is definitely a downside. Um, a good understand, a good thing to actually um, be able to bypass that feeling. And I know there's going to be some rolled eyes, but I'm going to say it again. Uh, it comes down to understanding and learning the why behind the things that you're doing. When you are learning a new technique, if you are also learning why you're doing it, not just because you can do it, then you will look back on your old work and look at it, you know, with a different light. It's not just like, oh, that thing looks sucky now. You're going to say, mm. well, this new work is better because of this. So, yeah, focus on the focus what on what you've improved, not what you failed at before. Yeah, and and why you might have made those improvements. Like it's simple, it can be as simple if you are a bladesmith, for example, can be as simple as um, getting. I, I I got up the wind up me one day and just spent like three days straight trying to perfect the grain structure of fifteen and twenty. Yeah, and the the refinement i got in it was so satisfying at the end but it wasn't for any project but it was an, a thing that i had identified that i needed to be better at and i wanted to be better at and i just sat there and i just worked at it trying I, I, I wrote down every variable that i could be working with um i started doing even wild experimentation with things that i knew weren't going to work i just wanted to see how they didn't work um, mm-hmm. and sometimes that's what it takes. And now I don't even think about if I'm heat treating 15 and 20 and 1084, for example, are very similar heat treatment specs, Remarca- very- remarkably similar. So they are the two most common steels that I work with. And so I wanted to be able to just not even have to think about it. I knew that I was going to get good grain structure with them. And so now I can, but just like, you know, now I can walk around, whereas once I could not because I was a baby. Um, that is now just a tool in my belt, but it frees me up it's not, uh, to think about the next steel that I want to be able to work with, which is actually I want to, uh, inspired by Sam's recent purchase, I want to make myself a heat treatment oven uh, to be able to do decent and more reliable heat treatments on uh, 52100, which is a steel yeah, that I, I really love. I finally ordered the uh, PID and the thermocouple for it, so... Um... I'm just anxiously awaiting that to, to start doing some more awesome heat treats on stuff. Very cool. Yeah, because, I mean, I, I, as somebody who regularly makes and sells knives, you no matter how much you tell people carbon steel needs to be looked after, <laughs> <laughs> you always get a few people that don't understand. Uh, so 52100 is the great um, halfway point between, <laughs> between carbon steel and stainless. 
Yep. All the pros of carbon and stainless rolled into one beautiful steel, but its heat treatment is a nightmare. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in, a back, I mean, is- in, in a dodgy backyard setup, it's a nightmare. He, it, it, like in in as far as it will still rust, yeah, um, yeah, just, just not as readily as some of the other steels. You can do very very core basic maintenance on it, and it will be fine. Yeah, um, as opposed to something like ten eighty four that um, it just really likes to rust. Yeah, it's true. But um, yeah, that's just one one way that I want to get better, and I've identified what. I need to be able to do that. I could just keep refining my backyard heat treatment of 52100, but it would be easier to build a heat treatment oven and would have better advancements there. So, and you get, um, when you, you'll get to a point where there's fewer and fewer uh, avenues to follow in ways that you can notice drastic improvement, but it's just refinement. It's sort of like, think of your, yourself as um, a statue hidden inside of a block of marble. And at first, mm-hmm. you've got to hew off really large chunks of marble to get down to the statue that's hiding inside. Um, but then the smaller and smaller chunks need to be taken away. And then by the end of it, you're spending the rest of your life polishing. Yep, that's it. And there is an endless amount of polishing. Yeah, so, it never ends. Yeah, so... You need to know what the statue is going to look like, so to speak, or have an idea of what the statue is going to look like. And that's why we say come up with a plan for getting better, even if it's as simple as just challenging yourself with every project. To use that analogy, you know, like you'll have an idea of or a sketch of what's going to happen with the marble, but sometimes the marble breaks in unexpected ways and you just have to roll with it and uh, adapt your drawing as you go. I but ne- you still need to start out with a plan. That's right. I never expected to be a knife maker. No. I remember actively telling Sam I wasn't interested in it. I remember quite well you yeah. telling me that you were like never going to make knives. That's why I blacksmith. That's why I laughed so hard that he said that um, Celtic knives were a gateway drug because they absolutely <laughs> are. <laughs> yes. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, you should try a blacksmith's knife. And he's like, yeah. Yeah. Give it a shot. Friction folders are a damn gateway drug too. Yes. <laughs> one of us. One they're of all us. they're all hiding, waiting for you. It's like quicksand. Yeah. But um, yeah. So think about think about what is your plan? What is your your system going to be? What are you going to do, and commit to doing every time you walk out into your workshop in order to ensure that you are progressively getting better. Yeah, and and a lot of the time it doesn't take more than just being aware. Like, uh, most of the stuff we talk about is about awareness. If you are aware of the fact that you want to improve, then you will improve. The fact is that a lot of us tend to go through our days being, like, kind of... Self-deprecating. Passengers. Well, no, we're, we're kind of passengers, right? We, we, we do things without being actively in the moment. We have a vague idea and we just kind of go along with it, which is fine, but you're not actively participating in your own life (laughs) so taking that opportunity to be aware of your own motivations is really important to improving your skills and your craft and in in the end improve pretty much anything yeah and on the topic of improving don't forget we have a forge cars challenge of the month and it is if you are unfamiliar with it to find that one little thing that you've been, you, you know you've got to do in your workshop, you've been putting off doing, just do it. 
whether it's getting the getting the tool you've been meaning to to get or cleaning up that space or that bit of shelving or organizing things rearranging things or even if it's something silly like me i want a cuckoo clock on the wall <laughs> having real trouble finding a cuckoo clock by the way there is a they are really there, difficult there is a spate of like fake cuckoo clocks mm, they are designed yeah. to look like one but they do not have a working cuckoo yeah it's weird isn't it it's really strange why would you want that what's the point I of that you can, aesthetic. you can even get like flat ones that is just a picture of a cuckoo clock with a real, <laughs> with a real c- clock in the middle of it, but it's just a flat picture of one that you hang on the wall and it's called it's a awesome. home decor cuckoo clock. Yeah. It's all about the aesthetic. Yeah. I'm like, why? That's, it's weird. People are weird, Sam. People are weird. So I'm continuing my search for a cuckoo clock. I've still got half a month left. <laughs> <laughs> It's funny, when I used to live in Brisbane, there was actually a place uh, not far from where I lived called Tambourine Mountain. And at mm-hmm. the top of Tambourine Mountain is a, um, a German village. You know how you can get, like, Chinatowns in, and Little Italy yep. and things like that? There is, like, a little Germany at the top of this mountain. It's really bizarre. Um, <laughs> but there's, like, German pubs and sauerkraut uh, being served with ho- uh, German sausages on carts and things. It's weird. But in there was an entire shop dedicated to handmade cuckoo clocks. Nice. Yeah. Uh, the walls were literally like floor to ceiling covered in cuckoo clocks. And <laughs> they were all set to go off at like five minute intervals. So no matter when you visited, there was cuckoo clocks going off. And so working in there would have been a nightmare. But yeah, um, I should have grabbed one before I left, but that was two years ago. So. Mm. That place was the my, my one last chance to get a cuckoo clock. Unless I an, unless I order like a three hundred euro black forest cuckoo clock from Germany or something, uh, yeah. but <laughs> ain't nobody yeah, got time my, for I, that. I want to wonder. I, I I've been wondering ever since you mentioned it last episode where my grandmother's cuckoo clock is. Ever since she moved out of her house, I don't know where it's gone. All right. It was one of those uh, weight-driven ones. Like yeah. It, it had, like, the actual the proper ones. weight on the yeah. chain. Yeah. That's the sort that I'd really like, ideally, but, you know, they're, they're hard to find. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I have no idea where this one went. Just it's listen. Really listen. Wait till it's go quiet. And... <laughs> <laughs> mm, yeah. I'd have to have pretty super powerful ears to hear it from wherever it is now. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah. So, find that little change that you've been meaning to do. Or, or get or whatever it is and tell us about it hashtag forgecast challenge some good ones have been rolling in mm. i've been liking seeing people people do it it's it's nice because it's very easy to just hear that and think ah oh, it'll be fine i'll do it later but that's what you've been saying for months slash years so it's good to see you doing it we're proud of you mm-hmm. the fudgery guy is proud of you i am and if you would like to send in an email to us, and it might get read out on the show, just send it on to ask.forgecast at gmail.com. And be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. And if you are looking for the Fudgery Gar, where can they find you? Well, if you're looking for me on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Etsy, Patreon, Redbubble, Twitch, The Kitchen Sink, you can find me under the moniker of Sam Towns Bladesmith. Where would they be able to find you, Master Alex? 
If they haven't worked it out by now, then I, I feel sorry for them. <laughs> <laughs> but I go by Valhalla Ironworks, and you can find me at all the places you can find Sam. <laughs> He's in my back pocket. That's right. That's right. I'm actually a, uh, a very elaborate ventriloquist act. Yes. A long distance ventriloquist <laughs> <That's> act. <laughs> <right>. <laughs> Anyway, guys, I hope you're all doing well. Uh, continue to make those changes in your f- workshops and forges. It's really cool to see. And we'll catch you next week. Bye-bye. Oh!